by the E The HNIC repping New York City Live and direct cause he always come correct yeah. When he does an interview it makes the streets all connect yeah. He stimulates the brain through your mobile device And he smash like the Hulk when he claps you with advice It's all about the news when he drops and beats home yeah. So pay close attention shit's about to explode Intellectual stimulation by way of mobile devices. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Atomic Podcast, coming to you live from the Upper West Side, New York City, where we blow up the news on a verbal scale. My name is Ephraim Guzman, and my guest today, he's been in the world of wrestling, public access wrestling, for, you know, it might sound taboo to you, but, yep, public access wrestling, which is based in the New York City area, um, MNN, Manhattan Neighborhood Network, BCAT Cable. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Mr. Mark Morell, a.k.a. A, the executioner, Mr. Mark Knight. Mark, how you doing? What's going on, brother? How are you? Good, good. And yourself, my lifelong nemesis. We've been going heated exchanges on Facebook. Our promos are going crazy. People don't know what's going on and stuff. But, you know, it's 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 really cool that this has been going on. And we kind of linked up back again. Yeah, absolutely, man. You know, it's a pleasure to be on the podcast, you know. So uh, it's, it's good to, like, finally do this after weeks of popping up here and there and everything in between, but it's good that we finally got a chance to sit down and we can get this thing out and, and drop some knowledge to, to the listeners and the viewers uh, to the exactly, and I said we're gonna have a civilized discussion. This is no like you know I'm gonna get you, Mark Knight. You know this is a very civilized talk, and we're basically gonna talk. This episode topic today is the history of public access wrestling, and who better for me to talk to about the history of public access wrestling than Mr. Mark Knight? Basically, when did you start getting into wrestling, and how did you become part of a public access wrestling show? Basically, I started off as a wrestling fan. And I've uh, been watching wrestling for years. And uh, it's ironic that at one point in time, I was watching public access television here in the city. I was watching the Hatton Neighborhood Network when I was a Harlem resident. And uh, I was watching all these different shows. And one of the shows that caught my attention, well, actually, there was two shows that caught my attention. One was uh, the Urban Wrestling League, and the other one was the WTF. But with the WTF, that caught my attention because I've seen a bunch of guys just... Uh, you know, doing their thing out in the street and the beach and all this other stuff. And I'm looking at these guys. I'm like, yeah, you know, I can take these guys. These guys aren't nobody. <laughs> but then when I saw that they um, was going inside a ring and performing in a ring, I was like, okay, well, wow. I, need, I think I need to really be a part of this. And wow. that started like, 90, like late 95, early 96 to be back. Well, how, how, how did you become a part of it? Did you write to the show or you called the show? Like, how did you... Get your foot in the door. Well, I wrote, I wrote a letter. I, you know, I wrote a very, very interesting letter to be a part of it. And uh, the director of the show, Nelson Torres, didn't respond back to me. However, um, one of the guys that uh, broke, broke, broke in a lot of people, Havoc, uh, Miguel Barroso, he was the one that actually responded to my letter and uh, saw what I was talking about. He was like, you know what, I think I need to talk to this guy and see what he's about. And uh, once he reached out to me, told me where to go to and how to get there, I made it there, and uh, I had my first match. And uh, ironically, it was Valentine's Day, 1996, when I had my first match. Oh, and, and this is from a guy, you had no wrestling experience whatsoever, you had no training at all? Did you get trained on the spot going to the show? I got trained right on the spot, learning how to do certain things, but 
picking up what I saw inside from watching WWF and WCW from back in the day. But uh, there was no formal training whatsoever. But it was only after uh, I got involved, that's when, that's when I really started to take training aspect of pro wrestling series. So when you first got there, did you think it was just going to be all in fun? And like, you know, you was like, you know, getting in the ring with guys you didn't even know, you know what I'm saying? And just like, you know, wrestling them and stuff like that. Like, wasn't you scared because you didn't know them and like, you didn't know how they would perceive you to be or? Oh, it was a mix of everything. But you know, the, the thing about it is, is that I was nervous as hell, you know, uh, and then the fact that, okay, this is going to be on, this is going to be on TV. And, uh, you know, people are going to watch. And, uh, yeah. I mean, it was kind of nerve-wracking, you know, and especially being that uh, the guys didn't know me, they didn't know who I was. I was familiar with most of the guys uh, that was a part of the, um, the original WTF. But um, there was just like a few of the main guys that I knew I was familiar with, like Angelo Vega, you know, who was like the mainstay of the uh, WTF. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, the co-owner and, uh, you know, as he called, as, and not to say he called himself, but he is, he earned his right to do it. Uh, he was a Hall of Famer, uh, multiple time champion, and, uh, you know, he was one of, he was, he was the face of the group. And then you had other guys like Jason Akinis, you had Alan Knight, my brother, uh, <laughs> and then, uh, you had the, uh, I guess it's Havoc, and you had, like, all these other guys, that two Shawn Michael, uh, playoffs, and, one guy who was, uh, what do you call him, so Jose the Duke? Yeah. You know, and, and a couple other guys, and Jason, Jason uh, Mr. Perfection, or whatever. So I was pretty much familiar with most of those guys. But uh, several of those guys stood out, and several of them... It's kind of funny you say that because, you know, you, you describing the names, uh, you know, it sort of reminded me now in hindsight, um, it was like Saved by the Bell, the new class, you know, as, as opposed to Saved by the Bell because, you know, how they had the new class that were, you know, you had a one who was emulating Screech called Weasel, then you had, you know, but then they took that out real quick. Was you alright doing um, Mark Knight, the Hitman Knight? Like, you know, you was a Bret Hart fan. You didn't mind doing, like... He was a black version of Bret Hart, basically? No, I didn't mind doing that because, like I said, I didn't know better at the time. And I was just impersonating what I saw on TV. Mm -hmm. And it was like, well, great. You know, I, I have an opportunity to get in the ring and do all this craziness. And I just went with the first person that I saw. It's like, um, like how I said at one point in time, it's like watching a Kung Fu movie. And you, you and your friends, you're playing karate flicks and whatever. Or you go outside, you want to try, like... Drunken master technique or the the, the the lotus fist or the tiger style and all that other stuff. I saw that as an opportunity. Like, well, wow, you know, um, I get to come out being cool as Bret Hart. You know, jeans, jacket, his music. You know what I mean? Just living a life like like a kid and just like, wow, I'm getting getting to live out a dream. Yeah. But after a while, you know, it, you know, it started to kind of grow on me. But um, you know. Uh, evolution is key to survival and uh, a way of life. And just like with everything, you got to evolve and you got to find your niche. 
and I had to do that for myself. I know, especially like you know, I got exposed to a lot of different public access shows from like G Street Live to Mad Dog's House of Young Lust to Speaking Spanish to I guess the you know the WTF show as well. There was a there was a lot of there was a, a plethora of um, different um, public access wrestling shows. There was um, UWL Urban Wrestling League. There was Insane World Wrestling WTF. I think there was the one where from um, the guy Big Time Jason. I don't know what promotion was that, but it was like in a schoolyard. There's a lot of wrestlers that came out of public access that a lot of people don't know about. Could you name drop some wrestlers? Because a lot of them you know personally. Well, I'm going to start off with uh, Old Life Louis Ramos. Okay. Uh, the New York City King of Hardcore. He uh, started off in the WTF actually about like a month after I started. Oh, wow. And, okay. uh, yeah, he started a month after I started. Uh, he lived out his dream because he was a big, 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 and he will tell you straight up in your face. He is a big Hulkamaniac. He loved Hulk Hogan. He worshipped Hulk Hogan, and uh, he was, you know, he felt that that was the opportunity to live out his dream, to be like the Hulkster, and he did it. Like how a lot of guys who got into the business, they capitalized and say that, hey, you know, I was a Hulkamaniac before I got involved in pro wrestling, you know? Or some of you lie and say that they were, they're not all for maniacs, but a majority of us were. But Louis was that. But his evolution grew to become the, like I said, the, the, the tri-state uh, hardcore legend in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But not just only in New York and in New Jersey, uh, but I would say like Delaware and um, other places throughout the United States such as um, IWA Mid-South. He went on to do some big things there. Uh, King of the Death Matches. He's done a lot of death match uh, contests uh, during his tenure and running in the world of wrestling. And uh, he's a legend. Uh, I would say, no, uh, he's definitely. You know, for those of you who are, who are not familiar, you can call him Sinshi. You can call him Cabal. Uh, you can call him the, the, the World Warrior. You can call him anything that you want. But Loki definitely got his start in the realm of public access as a part of the insane world wrestling promotion, which we depend by the Rivals. So that's another one. Then uh, the SAT, mm-hmm. Spanish announce team, Joel and Kelvin, and the Amazing Red, they got their start in public access also. Uh, and I'm also going to say, even though technically speaking, these two weren't... Um, Really, uh, actually, well, actually, yeah, I'm gonna say one more. Uh, Hollywood, uh, Jay Lover, mm-hmm. uh, Jerry Tadasso, or Tadasco, or something like that. Mm-hmm. I can't think of his last name. Uh, he started off as a public access wrestler. Uh, he still works every now and then wrestling, but he's also, uh, an actor. You know, he's had some, um, some big parts and things. And, uh, uh, like, was it official Blue Bloods? Yeah. And also Law and Order and stuff like that. So he, he's, he's doing his thing, you know, doing the acting, doing the acting thing right now, but he's a, he's a solid worker. He started out in, uh, in the public access also. And, uh, and lastly, what I was going to say was two other guys, although technically they were not public access wrestlers, you know what I mean? But mm-hmm. I want to give them honorable mention anyway. Uh, Homicide, mm-hmm. the Taurus 27 Homicide. He and the ROH Heavyweight Champion, Jay Lee, uh, they all come from that, that realm, that era, and that time. Mm-hmm. 
although they were never wrestlers on public access, but they, you know, Homicide was definitely influential by training Jay Lethal, but he also trained uh, Steve Monster Max. Uh, he also trained Dan Math, Dan Moth, mm -hmm. uh, and like I said, Loki and Louie, and Mace, and uh, Buffy Boniqua. Mm -hmm. So those those were the guys that uh, that he trained, and some of them were like some really good public access wrestlers that went on to become big names and household names, not only in the Indies, now, that's amazing to hear because, you know, you watch it on TV and, you know, even, you know, I, I myself and you or some, you know, participated in that. You wouldn't, th you know, you know, you have that dreams like, oh, I could make it big if I'm doing this right now. The wrestling ring was in Brooklyn at Arena Puerto Rico with um, Pedro, right? That was the guy. And how did that, how did that come about? Like, like who, who like was the first person to go to him or found out about the wrestling ring or where was the first wrestling ring at in the first wrestling ring match on public access? Well, the first, uh, the first spot that the WTF guys were working at was at uh, Johnny Rod's Gleason's Gym, mm -hmm. the, the world of unpredictable wrestling. That's the Johnny Rod's school. Sorry, Johnny. <laughs> uh, but uh, I got a shout out, brother. Uh, that school, of course, put on, well, actually put out and developed a lot of successful pro wrestlers, such as... Um, you know, uh, Bill DeMont was a former head trainer for uh, NXT, former WCW US Heavyweight Champion. Uh, the Dudley Boys, well, Bubba and Devon, Tommy Dreamer, uh, the Musketeer, you know, the Skull, and Spanish Angel. Um, those are all of the names that came out of the um, uh, out of Johnny Rods. Uh, also, given mention to a good friend of mine. Uh, Mike Larraquinte, a.k.a. The, the Iceman Mike Hazardous, a uh, partner of mine who I've done some shows with up in the Bronx or like, you know, in the early part of this, this decade. And uh, Matt Stryker mm -hmm. comes, comes from out of uh, Gleason's Gym as well. Mm -hmm. And another good friend of mine, uh, Antoinette um, Jones, a.k.a. Booty Collins, who's uh, doing a uh, very, very, very big thing right now. Uh, with, a, with an autism uh, foundation that her and her son started. Mm -hmm. And they just recently did something big earlier this year that Kurt Angle uh, is sponsoring, and that's one of his uh, uh, nice projects that he's helping out with. But um, those are like the group of people that I know that, you know, that comes from out of Gleason. Also, Marty Bell, who's a part of TNA Wrestling. I, you know, I gotta mention her, she comes from Gleason's. Mm -hmm. uh, Prince Nana comes from Gleason's. Uh, there's just a lot of cash on there. But Johnny saw what we were doing, and he was like, you know, you guys are damaging my ring, and you guys are going to get me in trouble with the, you know, with the, uh, the, the commission back in the day. Mm -hmm. You know, because uh, the, the New York State Athletic Commission was the governing body for professional wrestling here in New York City. But after a while, they stopped only, you know, just the promoter steal and stuff like that. But, you know, wrestlers and stuff that work without a license were back then, we had to. But um, rather than just like completely just giving us the, the Flintstone treatment and dumping us on our asses out the street, he referred us to go down to Arena Puerto Rico. We met up with Pedro Santiago, and uh, he gave us an opportunity to work out there and to do our thing there. Uh, and I think, if I'm not mistaken, it was Chris, Chris Arvello, a.k.a. the Heartbreak Con, Chris Knight, 
mild as whatever. <laughs> well, we were like, we were like the dummies, <laughs> you know, between, uh, between myself and Alan and, and Chris. Chris was the one that helped um, Boston and be able to get us inside over in the Puerto Rico. Well, wow, it's amazing, like, you know, that from from Gleason's to Arena, Puerto Rico, and, you know, from what I remember, it was, what, you paid $10 for ring time, and then you got to sign, like, some kind of, like, dummy-looking waiver, where if you get hurt, he's the guy's not responsible for you, right? Oh, absolutely, because, uh, this is a tough sport, and, uh, you're gonna get hurt. It's, you know, it's not like, okay, when you think of wrestling, you know, everyone thinks, oh, well, it's just a theatric. Oh, man, ain't nothing theatric about getting inside that ring and bumping if you never did it before and learning how to maneuver inside of a ring that you've never been in before. It's not easy. It was never easy. And uh, anyone who thinks that it's easy, I invite them to try to come on down and see it for themselves, you know? Yeah. Um, one of the other things we had to learn about being a professional wrestler or being a wrestler is respect. I had to learn respect, and I'll... You know, some folks earned it and some folks didn't. But uh, Arena Puerto Rico's dojo was no joke. It was inside of a church. It was uh, in a classroom on the second floor. And uh, it was in a, you know, we, we learned to do everything in an 18 by 18 ring. And uh, we got our asses bust. But we, we learned. We learned the business. Yeah. We, we, we learned it the hard way. We had to pay our dues. We had to break that ring apart. We had to take that ring apart. We had to bring it up and down. We had to do all that stuff. And we had to put it together. And the ring wasn't the best ring on the face of the earth. It was, uh, like I said, it was hell, man. A lot of people have gotten hurt in that ring. Uh, and everyone is taking their first serious bumps in that ring. So it comes along with the territory. Yeah. Well, what, what, is, what has happened to Arena Puerto Rico now? Does it no longer exist? Well, APR uh, shut down. In, 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 in the regard of the fact that uh, one of the guys who was wrestling for um, IWF, mm -hmm. you know, at the time, um, was uh, he overshot doing a, um, a shooting star press in the, uh, off the top rope, mm -hmm. and you know, he, you know, Pedro at the time he didn't tighten the ropes, mm -hmm. and the kid was the kid was over practicing the maneuver and stuff like that, and. Uh, he overshot and he actually fractured his neck. Mm. And so we had, to, we had to stop the show, we had to take him to the hospital and so forth and to uh, make sure that he was all right. And I thank God that, uh, you know, GQ, that was, the, that was the guy who got hurt. He, uh, you know, he's doing fine. He's, you know, he's walking and everything, but uh, he hasn't been back in the ring. But that was the cause of it. And then that, not only that, there was like some other um, crazy political thing that was going on inside the place where um, people were trying to finagle their way in there to try to take over, but it didn't happen. Mm -hmm. But that's what happened. Um, they removed the wrestling out of Burrito, Puerto Rico, and uh, everyone stopped going there. So what ended up happening was uh, we all transitioned and went over to the doghouse uh, on Jamaica Avenue mm -hmm. and off, off Crescent to go and work out and to do things from there. Oh, so everybody was going over there, and um, they didn't mind like the cameras recording, and you know, people hanging out and watching everybody wrestle. You know, there was no, no problems with no. that. Because what happened was was that uh, by going over there to uh, to the doghouse, uh, it gave an opportunity for other guys to work, 
be a part of the, uh, the WTF or any other Fed that was there, and or even an opportunity to wrestle inside and learn wrestling from the guys from the doghouse. So just imagine, you're coming there, you're getting inside that ring, and you're learning how to work and you're training. You're training in one ring, then you've got your pro ring where all the shows and stuff were done. You have everybody on the side just watching and critiquing and seeing what you're doing and letting you know what you're doing wrong and you're getting better at it. And also with public access wrestling, was it just like as like the WWE? Because I remember being a part when you actually ran, was it... Um, AIWA slash World Wrestling Union, you know, you was doing the booking sometimes, and, you know, you was announcing, and you was wrestling, um, when, in your, in the, I think your first promotion, the WTF, who was doing what, and was it, like, kind of organized, or it was just like, you know, was it like the inmates running the asylum, nobody really knew anything as of yet, because it was still, like, early stages of it? It was pretty much early stages, but during that time, um, yeah, I was the, the booker and the producer for, both the AIWA and the World Wrestling Union. Um, the World Wrestling Union uh, got a start in 98. I'll get into that later. But um, from 96 to like, yeah, from like 96 to about like maybe 98, um, I helped um, run and run the book and do the production for uh, the AIWA. Um, it was, was it uh, hard to do? Uh, yes and no. Um, regarding like the book, uh, I had help with booking the matches. That's where um, Havoc uh, got in, and he helped out with the with the matchmaking and so forth. And uh, he would help with the announcing on that. We did all of the edits and stuff at my house or whatever, with uh, two VCRs and a mixer and all kind of whatnot. Mm-hmm. And then we just took the stuff down to um, Manhattan Neighborhood Network and just ran the, ran the footage and things from there. Um, it was so. It was. It wasn't that easy. It wasn't that difficult. It wasn't that hard. We, we did the very best that we can with it. Now going forward, when I was doing World Wrestling Union, it was pretty much the same thing. But only this time it was myself and uh, Havoc. No, not Havoc. Uh, Carnage made wrestling things, mm-hmm. and uh, the Modern Journey. Uh, those guys were helping me with the um, with all of the duties for the show, so whatever I learned and carried off with, from working with the NWA, I carried it over into the Washington Union, and I just taught the guys how to do how to do some things just besides being talented inside the ring, so they helped out with a lot of stuff. Yeah, I know it's amazing that you say that, and also you said a Manhattan neighborhood network. Um, didn't you say when going over there you had to take an editing class as well? Well, now they require you to take the yeah. editing classes, you know, to be a producer.
sure that your screens and everything is working perfectly and fine, the music and things are queued up and all kind of whatnot. It's a lot of work, you know, to, to do all of that inside of a studio and then broadcast it. But if you, like I said, you were um, in the comfort of your own home behind your PC, you can do all of that on your computer and just get it going. Just like, like, a, like a DJ, you know, in the old days, uh, when you DJ, you use a mixer, two turntables, a microphone, and, and some apps. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And you use records, you use vinyl, you know, you use wax. We didn't use Serato and stuff back then. But the same thing applied then when it came down to two VCRs, a mixer, a microphone, a steady cam. And you just did your stuff from there. Yeah, I know it's it's amazing how it seems so like Stone Age, even from like um the belts, like they were made out of Velcro and cardboard and staples and gold foils and markers, you know, as opposed to right. now you could buy Dave Milliken looking belts or like you know they have like all these belts that you could definitely get. So we was yeah. pretty much in the nineties where like we would we didn't have access to stuff, and I think at at that time everybody used more of their imaginations, you know, because you know. People were, you know, we had um, Edwin, who was a belt maker for WWU, and, you know, he made belts out of Velcro and everything, right? No, Edwin, Edwin did, the, uh, did the belts for the AIWA. Yes, that's right, that. I'm sorry. Yeah, AIWA, yeah. He did the heavyweight title, he did the regional title. Uh, the heavyweight title, he did the wing eagle design of the WWF belt. Mm-hmm. He did the world television title design for the, uh, the, the, the regional title. And I don't recall what design he used for the... No, he used the WCW yeah. design for the AIWA tag belt. Yeah. That I remember. Um, but regarding World Wrestling Union, the first ever uh, inception of the heavyweight championship and the tag team titles, Weapon X, did those belts. He, oh. he made those championship belts. And then after that, uh, it was... Louis Ramos and this kid named Asylum. Louis yeah. Ramos did uh, the he did the War Wrestling Union United National uh, Heavyweight Title. He did the tag belts, but then he touched up on uh, Asylum, touched them up and made them better, and made them a little more heavier and stuff like that. And then he also created for me the uh, World Wrestling Union. Uh, Eastern Heavyweight Championship and the Junior Heavyweight title. And he also made a, he made an international belt for Andre and stuff like that. And that, that was nice too. So he did some nice belts. But the Heavyweight belt, we ended up getting a, um, we ended up getting the figures eight, uh, WCW Heavyweight title belt and we used that as the World Championship. And that kind of like set the trend for a lot of the, uh, other public access shows to start using, uh, so you guys were the first, right, to rep- to introduce um, actual belts? Yeah, we were, the, we were the first one. We, I think we were the first one to incorporate using uh, the replica belts. But as far as, like, really good handmade belts that were steady and they looked good, uh, Louis and Asylum did those. Uh, and like I said, the precursor to those, Weapon X did those, and they, these guys did a real good job. You know, because they had a lot of creativity. And that creativity was great input for the shows. You understand? Yeah. Now, 
on one hand, you also you had like like I said in the beginning, you had uh, J Storm. He did the belts for the WTF way back in the day, mm-hmm. and he did he did the uh, Insane World Wrestling belts, and he also did the um, he did the AWA belts at the time, which were the cardboard belts at the time. Mm-hmm. But the um, thing that made us realize and made us see what was going on that a, a change had to come about was when I did a student show, student exhibition show, at Arena Puerto Rico. And um, I saw Mad Dog Joe Stone come in there with his championship belt. Now, it wasn't like the belts that we saw on television. It was like one of the old school uh, classic belts that was used in the Northeast, like the WWE, like the, the trophy belt. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but to me, it was like, shit, that's the end of the be-all. You know, we need to have belts like that. We mm-hmm. can't wrestle with these cardboard things anymore. Like, let's do like, ah, uh, we can't do this no more. Help us to grow and do something different. So that helped me change my, my view on wrestling for a championship and what, what it really means to Matter of fact, do you still have those belts? Do you have the cardboard belts, or you don't even know they don't exist? <laughs> Hell no, I don't. I don't know. <laughs> what happened to them? They got destroyed. Well, well, let me see. Uh, some of them ended up getting lost in the shuffle. Some were replaced. Others, I think. Truth be told, I think some people took them. Took them shit. <laughs> but uh, I can tell you that the the World Wrestling Union title, the WCW belt that I had, mm-hmm. I gave that I gave that to GQ as a as a moment as a, as a memento, and you know for thanking him and just showing him appreciation for um, everything that he's done for his short career. And it was just my way of saying, like, you know, we love you, thank you, this is for you. And we gave him that belt so that, uh, you know, he, he has that belt. Right? He has that uh, WCW belt that, um, that we were using. Yeah. You know, so that was like our way of saying, hey, man, you know, we're going to forget you. And you're a champ in our eyes and a champ in our hearts and whatnot. And he was actually going to become the first ever WF light heavyweight champion. Going back to the public access wrestling show, you know, there was the WTF, Insane World Wrestling, um, UWL. Like, who started the trend? And then was it, like, was it copycats? Or everybody, you know, just, like, started saying, oh, this guy got a show. I guess we could do a show, too. And then, you know, you had other guys. Like, like I guess that guy, Big Time Jason, would have, you know, they were wrestling in the park, you know? Like, you think it was, like, a surgence of, like, public access wrestling everywhere because of that? I would say this. I would think that, um, well, the grandfather of them all was the Urban Wrestling League. Yeah. Then WTF. Uh, with with that being said, those those two set the foundation for what public access wrestling was and what it was going to become. Then after that, it was Insane World Wrestling. They got you know they splintered off and did their thing after um, you know WTF fell apart for the first time. Then it was the AIWA, and then after AIWA, of course that's when Big Time Jason was doing his his deal. Yeah. Um, uh, let me see, what else? The World Wrestling Union got a start from there in 1998. Then we had 2KW, and then we had all these other, other feds come about. Um, 2KW, you know, 
I'll, I'll focus on them briefly because they were in the era of where uh, WCF had uh, stopped for a minute and they was looking to regroup. And uh, they were around at that time. They were wrestling at Westinghouse High School yeah. uh, in the park. That's what they were doing. They were doing that, their thing there. And uh, they ended up getting a lot of press because of them wrestling over there near the FDR highway and yeah. FDR drive and stuff like that. And, you know, they, they, got, a lot of, they got a lot of press, I've got to say. You know, they, they, did a, they did quite a bit, you know what I mean? But um, they, they, they really did it. I, I give credit what credit is due. They, they really did it. Was the school Manhattan Center? They were behind the school, right, I believe? It was like 116 in Pleasant, I believe? That was the yes, school? Yes, yes absolutely. That's and exactly what it was. There was a wrestler there called Sin, too, I believe, right? It was, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. As a matter of fact, Sin is uh, the, C- the C- CEO and the booker for uh, 2KW. 2KW is running shows out of, um, what you call it right now, uh, BWF up in the Bronx. They use, that, they use that ring there to do their shows. Um, I don't know if they're doing anything on television, uh, but... They've been doing their thing for a while now. Sin, Sin kind of got smart. He was always smart, but, you know, he decided to take it up a notch and then get out that park and then put these guys inside the ring. You know, and what better place to do it was there, you know, for, um, at DWF. So that's what, that's what they're doing right now. They've come a long way. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Like there was, there you know, there were so many shows, and you know, like now there's it's pretty much scarce of wrestling shows. There's not really much wrestling now. You know, back you know from back in the days, there was like a lot of you, you you know you'll watch one at like Thursday eleven o'clock or something like that, or different days of the week you'll have like different public access wrestling shows behind the scenes and stuff like that. Do you feel like being part of the shows? Like a lot of guys had egos and they took it to the heart. Like if this was like real life and stuff, like this is like really the WWE and I don't want to lose to him and I want to be the cardboard champion and, or I want to be the metal belt champion. You know, how, well, how was the turmoil like behind the scenes? Well, yeah, there was definitely ego. You know what I mean? And I think he witnessed quite a bit of it. You know, you had certain You're, you're, this guy will never get a job 
This guy will never get a spot. This guy will always feel like he's entitled or she's entitled. Mm-hmm. And uh, they'll mess it up for everyone. And it won't be fun to be a part of this business. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, egos, egos have been uh, have been tested. Egos have been shown. And people have shown their ass. And people have had their ass handed to them. And people have learned to keep their stuff in check. It's so crazy because it's just like real life. Either, you know, one girlfriend leaves and goes with the next guy and, you know, um, certain wrestlers, you know, wrestlers per se get upset about, you know, storyline stuff or certain guys don't want to get in the ring with other guys. You know, it's it's crazy Uh because it's almost like you're actually living in part of the WWE and you would think it's just like that with, you know, a real promotion. You know, it's just it's just it's just fascinating because, you know, everybody was pretty much there to have fun or. Or, you know, so you know, people do it just because they want to be on television. Like, oh, I want to make sure I'm yeah. on 11 o'clock, Channel 34. You can see me. You know, the the channels that was on. But you know, it was it, you know, it was it was it was fun. You know, even when I was a part of it with um, Mike the Militia and Weapon X and all that. You know, we you know, I honestly know why we got there is because we had Jasmine. You know, and that pretty much put us up there. Like everyone's like, oh my god, look at her. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That pretty much put now, us on the map. You know. I want to shoot on that real quick because you know what it was. The, 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 the difference with you guys and your whole package in comparison to what was going on over there, you see, because we had, like, the same three girls that wasn't really doing nothing. They were quiet. They were, they, 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 they really didn't show, like, no interest. They just loved the fact that they were able to come there, wear, wear somewhat of a tight little mini skirt or whatever, and throw a little makeup on and, and they walk to the ring and blah, 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 blah. But Jasmine had that little something extra. Jasmine had smarts about the business. Jasmine drew heat. And because of that, everybody was in love with Jasmine. Mm. <laughs> you understand? Everybody yeah. was in love with her. Like, I mean, literally. I mean, and I, and I say this, you know, you know, as, as a shoot. I, I, respect the, I respect Jasmine because she brought so much different things mm-hmm. and she made those girls step their game up. They had to. They had to step their game up. But what happened was that every other girl that came in after Jasmine, they had to step the game up. They had to because Jasmine really set the tone. Jasmine knew how to talk. Jasmine was charismatic. Jasmine had a look. She had like that, you know, she had something behind her eye. Mm-hmm. And she would get in that camera, and she would just like, and she just wasn't just about like pissing at, sashaying herself around. She knew how to be a villain. Mm-hmm. She knew how to be a. She she was a wrestling character. She knew what she was doing. She knew what buttons to press. She knew what things to do to get the attention and the, and the heat. And it made it, it made it make the girls look, you know, very jealous. But you know what? Sometimes you gotta do things to stand out. Now she could have just stood out rocking mini skirts and all kind of whatnot. Jasmine was comfortable in her skin and she knew how to take care of business and she had fun along the way. It was freaking. I remember the other girls were Maria, Denise, and Jessica, I believe, right? Yes, yes, yes. Wow. And then after that, it was Arlene and Marisol and Melissa. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, uh,. I can tell you right now, like, Uncle Jasmine didn't take bumps, Maria didn't take bumps, Melissa didn't take bumps, Jessica 
Yeah, I remember the, the that's when all, um all overdosed the, the choke slam on on her, right? Yeah, Carnage gave uh Carnage, yeah, that was Carnage, I think. Yeah, yeah. He, he gave uh he did a rock bottom on um on Melissa. Yeah. And I think and I think Moses called bombed um Yeah, he called on Melissa. You know. It, it was just crazy. But uh, but that's what happened. Everyone had to step the game up if they wanted to stand out. What is um, um what is your most marked characteristic? Oh, most marked characteristic? Yeah. Uh, besides me running my mouth all the time <laughs> and, and, and call myself the greatest sports attraction in the world today. I would just say like one of the guys that decided to take it to the point of looking to be more original. Mm -hmm. the, the, the fact that I was able to adjust and to, was glad to get out of not wanting to be uh, the hitman anymore. Mm -hmm. And you guys, you know, kind of helped play a big part in that. You know, mm -hmm. I think that every match that I've had with Packer, you know, you, Weapon X, Mike the Militia, uh, you guys helped help me out in many ways. You know, you helped with my evolution in, uh, in wrestling because I felt like, okay, I can't be this hitman guy anymore. I can't be Bret Hart's. Mm -hmm. I gotta be myself, and uh, that's the thing that I appreciated about wrestling. You guys, because you guys were yourselves. Mm -hmm. You guys were Mike the Militia. That was that. You know, when Mike got in the ring, Mike was Mike the Militia. Mm -hmm. When you got in the ring, running around like the Jimmy Hart that I know you are, you were even nomad. Mm -hmm. And when Weapon X got inside that ring, didn't know wrestling from a hole in the wall, he grasped it real quick and he was himself, you know? Uh, so it was just only fitting by seeing that, I was like, well, you know what? Maybe I need to do this. And if I think about it, and if, if we all think about it, when I was doing that Mark the Hitman deal, I was a baby face. Mm -hmm. You know? I was a baby face. And I was getting my ass handed to me every week. By Packer, Firepower, Jose the Crippler. You know what I mean? Mm. I was supposed to be the, you know, the good guy who sold the win, but <laughs> I was getting my ass handed to me. But it, it taught me how to be humble. And it taught me how to learn the business and just go in there and have fun, but just also learn to be yourself. Yeah, I know. I know. I think that was the thing we we did too. Because when I went in there, you know, with Mike and everything, and Weapon X, you know, I, I you know, I pretty much gave Mike the name Militia. I was like, you know, you're an army of one. You know what I'm saying? And it's it's crazy because he stuck with it. He even got a tattoo of the Militia. You know what I'm saying? So it's, oh, it's okay. a, yeah, it, it, um, it, it um, it's amazing because it's like, you know, we came into this thing. We were wrestling fans too. It was like, you know what? You know, let's come up with something. You know, we was just you know brainstorming and you know. And then, you know, we was thinking, like, like oh, wait, you're a freaking army, dude. Look how big you are. Look how, like, heavy you are, you know. You're like an army of one. You know, you're, you're like the, you know, that looked up what 
militia was, a militia is like a little army group, you know, and Mike himself, he's, by himself, he's an army group, so, you know, yeah. and just his look alone, he doesn't even have to do much, you know, he's just, he just looks like a, like a freak, freak of nature, and you're like, wow, you know, yeah. and yeah. then, you know, then I remember, too, I think you got it, too, we went, to, we all went to the Shark Unit gear, for me and Mike, and then we, we got our shirts there, because we wanted to look like a tag team, you know what I'm saying, like, we was looking like, you know, there's tag teams there, but no one looks like a tag team, you know, like, I, I was in the old stages of, like, the Young Stallions, Demolition, they looked like a tag team, they looked like they belonged together, and if you see one wrestling by themselves, it looks kind of odd, because where's your partner at, that's like, we wanted to look like we was just like a unity, like one, and then, you know, then we brought in Weapon X, I think, did you do your um, tights too, right, did you went to Shark Unit Gear and got your tights airbrushed too there as well, or? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Um, I definitely did that. You know, I'm trying to remember what the hell was the design. It was. It, I think it was four stars. It was four stars in the back, right? Right, right, right. Because like to a degree, I was still kind of stuck on the on the Bret Hart deal. Yeah. Only because you know I I was thinking like okay, well Bret used it. Bret used, for example, the, the stars represented his kids. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, for me, the stars, I guess. for you before I let you go. Um, what is the state of public access wrestling now? Well, the state of public access wrestling right now, it's, uh, it's not stagnant, but it's starting to make some moves now. Yeah. Because what's happening is, is that there's a resurgence 
people are starting to take a little interest more into public access. But then what's happening too is, is that just like everything else, I'm going to go back to the same word, evolution. It's to the point now where it's like you can still do your deal on public access, but everyone now is also branching off and doing things on YouTube. They're mm -hmm. putting everything on YouTube right now. Mm -hmm. So, like, you can just go onto YouTube and you can tune in and you can turn to, you can click on anything and you can see wrestling from all over the United States, all over Europe, all over Japan, all over Mexico, all over Africa, all over South America, uh, California, uh, North and South Carolina, Virginia, everything. You can see pro wrestling from all points of the earth on public access, right? I mean, not just public access, but I mean, on, on, on YouTube, you can put it on your mobile device and you see wrestling from all over the place. Yeah. So, you know, that's evolving right now. But here in New York, uh, so right now, WTF is like one of the only other states besides PW. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, it's still doing public access TV with, uh, with the wrestling. Um, also, um, I want to mention this too. Not only just from the wrestling standpoint, but you also have like the the interview format mm -hmm. of um, the wrestling shows. One of the shows um, I, I definitely want to talk about is um, Beyond the Square Circle, which is done out there in um, Staten Island Cable Access. Mm -hmm. uh, they do a show once a month every Thursday night for about an hour, mm -hmm. and uh, they discuss the ins and outs of professional wrestling. Uh, they've been doing the show for some time. Been a frequent guest on the show since uh, 2005, and um, there's still some really great stuff. Uh, we've interviewed uh, Chris Candido's brother. We interviewed him. We've interviewed um, Johnny Knockout. Several guys who've done some WWE stuff, uh, TNA stuff, um, and it's just like great stuff. So like, it's just not just limited to the you know the air ring performance, but it's also you know, your interview format and so forth, man. It, it's really great stuff. So wrestling on public access is it's still where it is, but it's growing by leaps and bounds, but it's also keeping its base but it's also going to another strategy. Okay, and these are just little random fun questions. Is the match going to happen between you versus Weapon X and On Smash or Angelo Vega and On Smash? Well, will it happen? It won't happen? It's not going to happen? Well, let me see. As far as, like, Angelo Vega and uh, the Enforcer, I really don't know. I can't speak for Angelo regarding about that. I would love to see it happen. I think... Um, Jesus would love to see that happen, but that's up in the air. Now, regarding uh, what the next from the Charles Xavier School of Professional Wrestling, uh, oh, hell yeah. I, I'm dying to get back in the ring with Weapon X. You know what I mean? Because um, so, as soon as we got started, he was the first one to pop up. And I'm like, oh, so um, Daniel's son just came out. Karate Kid reunion once again? Hey, I'm going to turn around. But, um, I guess I have to go through 
all these guys to get to you. Exactly, you know, I'm like the cherry on top, you know, you got to go through all the frosting to get the little cherry on top, you know. Oh, good God, you know, it's, just, you know, it's fine, I'll, I'll, I'll do it, you know what I mean, sometimes, you know, you got to swallow the pill. But <laughs> where I come from, the bigger the headache, the bigger the pill. So, call me the big thrill, I'm about to do the thing. So, I'll, I'll, I'll go through Packer, just to get to you. I mean, it is what it is, but I, I would definitely look forward to seeing myself inside the ring with those two, especially Weapon X. Because I think that uh, Weapon X and I will uh, have a classic match. I'll give him the match that he wants. He'll give me the match that I want. And I think we'll, we'll tear the house down. Yeah, I'm saying you'll be amazed to see what um, a couple of years will do to people and how much different they are. You'll be so amazed. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. You know, and I'm looking, I'm looking forward to it because I, I might have a surprise or two uh, for Weapon X when I get inside the ring, and I'm sure that he'll have a surprise or two for me when he gets inside the ring with me also. I mean, I mean, last I checked, he went down to Mexico to, you know, to learn some Lucha Libre. So, um, <laughs> I mean, that, that's all fine and good, but uh, I, I've gotten in touch with a couple of guys uh, in, in the world of martial arts, What do you think about the best physique in the public access wrestling business, the On Smash Enforcer? What do I think about the, the best physique in the business? Um, <laughs> I think the best physique in the business, you can stop eating them donuts. <laughs> good answer, good answer. <laughs> you know, he, needs, he needs to stop eating them donuts, and uh, he needs to go back to being the backup singer for Chief Marin. <laughs> <laughs> Also, um, a lot of, like you were talking about before, you said earlier, a lot of guys started in public access before they actually started going to a wrestling school and before they actually made it to, like, either one of the two major, I should say, well, the, the major promotion, WWE. Um, um, do you feel, like, seeing after all these guys making it, do you feel that if you would have stuck with wrestling more or op opportunities were to were presented to you more, you think you would have been in that accolade at the same, in the, in the same level as these guys that made it? Well, to be honest with you, the answer would be, I don't know. <laughs> because um, there was a time where um, I was actually working for Ace, Mike Morgan's promotion out in New Jersey in 2004. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, I had a nice little thing going on, had a nice little run. And uh, it came to a screeching halt because of uh, a co-worker being fired. And I'm getting ready to go and train and get ready for a big show, get ready for a match because uh, I was being groomed to go after the, uh, the tag team title with uh, Dan and Man. We had a, my last match with Ace. I had wrestled uh, All Money is Legal. And uh, I had a great match. And it basically it was... I was being built as a reluctant babyface who eventually was on to heel. And uh, 
me and Dan were going to actually win the tag team title. And that would have been my first independent championship. I mean, in a, in a major, major indie set. That would have been my very first. Mm-hmm. Um, had this guy not got fired, that's where I would have been. Who knows? Maybe I could have, um, I could have gone to Japan. Then wrestle for zero one, or maybe even uh, be a part of um, Pro Wrestling Noah and uh, wrestle for the GHC Junior Heavyweight Title. Or so, you know, uh, who knows? Only, only that knows. Yeah. Um, I'm going to play word association with you. I'm going to just say a few names and you just say one word answer about the person I, I, I say the name about. Ready? Okay. Miguel, Miguel Barroso. Uh, coach. Um, Nelson Suarez. Perv. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, Angelo Vega. James. Put it better. Put it better. Weapon X. Nah, I'm going to play creative, very creative. The On Smash champion, Jesus. Ah, uh, that's the week, I guess. <laughs> 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 no, we're creative also, creative also. You know, you think All right, Mike the Militia. Top five best big man in New York City. Wow. Jasmine. And the legendary, undefeated, unincomparable Eden Nomad. Chicken shit. <laughs> <laughs> of course you would say that. Don't no, worry. Once no, of course I'm going to say that about you. <laughs> but you know, no, honestly, um, you evolved. You evolved. You're, you, you know, you, you're doing great things. And I'm proud of you, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I really am. I'm proud of you. Uh, you Thanks a lot, boy. I appreciate that. Um, do you have um, my, my oh my last question for you now is what would Mark Knight of today tell the Mark Knight of yesterday? I would say, don't put your bag down. Walk out that door. Go to that ring. Work out. Invest in yourself. Do the best that you can. Keep on striving and go for what you want. And don't let nobody stop. Have fun and do the thing because your future is going to be bright and uh, the world is yours. Not only uh, on a monetary level, not only just on a secular level, but on a spiritual level too. Excellent, excellent. Thank you, Mark Knight. I appreciate that. Um, what is the social media, your, your social media out there, if anybody wants to harass you? Well, if you want to harass me, ladies and gentlemen, besides on uh, Facebook, uh, Mark A. Morel, you can hit me on Facebook. That's the Facebook page. I also have a little blog up there called the Real Action Tape Fan page, where I um, I throw up some uh, news about the Japanese pro wrestling and stuff like that. Uh, so I got some things up there that you might want to take a look at. Also, you can hit me on Twitter uh, at uh, XM Nightbuster. That's my handle there. Uh, and you can also reach me on SoundCloud. You can follow me there because I got a couple of beats and things up there that I think these guys will like under uh, Mark A. Morel. And then Instagram, aka under Crown Me King O. 
underscore of beats. So you can follow me on all those things right there. I'm not on that pie, that Pinterest yet, and I'm not up on uh, down Periscope yet, but those are the things you can hit me on. Instagram, SoundCloud, Twitter. Yeah, thank you very much, Mark. Um, definitely like hearing all the history behind the scenes. I'm sure there's a lot more history probably we haven't really touched upon yet, but it was a good, yeah, it was a good in-depth talk about um, public access wrestling. And I thank you again. We definitely got to talk again. And I hope everybody out there was intellectually stimulated by way of mobile devices. Have a good one. And right now we got a little special message from the Godfather, the man of the King of Sports, Mr. Nate. Milton. Oh, brothers and sisters out there in podcast land, this is your man, the Godfather, representing Live Audio Wrestling's Review and Impact, Pipe Bomb Radio, and of course, the world's most dangerous sports show, the Kings of Sport Podcast. And I had to hop on here and make a statement. I had to hop on here and give my opinion on what we talked about tonight. I had to hop on here and and give my special commentary to you, the listeners of the Atomic Podcast. And of course, the topic of the day, or of the night, or whenever you listen to this thing, is public access wrestling in New York City. Now this is something that, to keep it 100, which is also a show that will be coming your way, presented by the Fight Network, cheap plug. <laughs> to keep it 100, I was not really aware of the history of public access wrestling in New York. It was something that I honestly had my eyes open to. And from listening to what E and what Mark had to say about the topic, man, it, it just seems like a cool thing for anybody that's ever been a fan of the wild and crazy sport known as professional wrestling. For anybody that's ever cut a promo in their bathroom mirror. For anybody that's ever wrestled in their backyard. For anybody that's ever back in the day taking the mattresses out their bed, threw them on the floor, and had a Royal Rumble or a War Games match in their bedroom. It's a really, really cool concept. And I think anyone who's ever been a fan of wrestling or ever been an aspiring pro wrestler or somebody that's wanted to be a manager or a broadcaster or a booker, hashtag I respect you, booker man, or <laughs> a referee or part of the ring crew or anything involved in this world of pro wrestling, looking at what these guys did back in the day in New York is just crazy. Like, And, and I told Mark off the air that you know this definitely deserves to have a documentary or a book or at least something made about it because it's a fascinating story when you talk about names such as Johnny Rods, names such as Homicide, names such as Low Key or Jay Lethal or anybody like that and just the story and the the, the different players of something that is it's it's definitely New York. It's it's certainly New York, and, and it's got that flavor. But it's also something that is relatable to anybody, whether you're in Virginia, whether you're in California, whether you're in the heartland of America, whether you're in Canada or Mexico or Japan or wherever, all over the world, coast to coast, station to station, as that other godfather, James Brown, would say, uh, 
<laughs> did, did I just throw shade on the Godfather's soul? I don't know. I, I would never do that. I would never do that, especially after the way Chadwick Boseman threw down and get on up. But that's besides the point. I'm getting, I'm getting off on these tangents. But I think that this story is something that is just really cool of guys that love professional wrestling, guys that were hungry, guys that were young, up and coming, and they were like, man, this is something we want to do. And I think the other part of the story that is really cool is you have this learning tree. You know, you've got a progression. The the older cats, they they kind of school the younger cats. And then the younger cats take that knowledge and school to the next generation of people coming up. And I think that's what makes the story so cool. You know, hearing Mark talk about, you know, working with Johnny Rods or working with a homicide or people like that, uh, uh, Dan Math, you know, and just how it was almost this communal thing. And, and of course, you're always going to have egos or, or little petty personal stuff. You know, you're going to get that wherever you are, whatever workplace, because everybody has egos, everybody's human, and, you know, uh, beef is real. <laughs> beef is real. I mean, I was, and here's a little 411, a little insight on my wrestling nerddom or geekdom, if you will. I was actually involved in an E-Fed uh, probably about 15 years ago. Uh, maybe 20 years ago now at this time. Man, time flies when you get older. But I was involved in this E-Fed. And for those that don't know what E-Fedding is, uh, back in the day, it was actually fairly popular. Uh, you role-played online. And, and you were not that kind of role-play, you sick freaks out there. Uh, <laughs> I always got to make that disclaimer. But basically, you portrayed a wrestling character, and you cut promos, and you set up angles, and you did all this cool stuff, and it was fun. You know, for, for the time, it was fun, and even with that, though, you saw egos, and people wanting to be put over, and people not wanting to do jobs, and things of that nature. So, if we had that type of infighting in an E-Fed, imagine how much bigger those things gets when you're actually out there in the ring, you're actually wrestling, you're actually on TV. Um, and so when Mark was talking about all the ups and downs and the ins and outs of his life and his journey in the sport of pro wrestling, in particular when it relates to the public access era in New York, which uh, I hope, uh, just an aside, just uh, me speaking for me, then again, I guess this whole thing is me speaking for me. It's my special comment, damn it. <laughs> um, you know, I hope that it continues and it flourishes even in an era, you know, the YouTube era, the Internet era, social media era, where the allure of public access is not once what it once was. I still hope that, you know, there's a place where these young men and women can not only ply their trade in the ring, but also on the mic, also in front of the camera, but maybe even more importantly, behind the camera, because the production aspect is something that I think a lot of these guys and girls don't really take into account when they say, hey, I want to be a professional wrestler. So all the infighting and ups and downs aside, I think that this was a fascinating look into a culture that I don't think a lot of folks outside of New York really knew about. I mean, I certainly didn't know about it, and I am a huge wrestling head. You know, I 
I still mark for the artist formerly known as Prince Ika's theme music. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm a huge wrestling fan. You know, from the Von Erics and the Funks and the Freebirds, all the way up to the New Day. Or hold on, excuse me, the New Day rocks. New Day rocks. <laughs> um, but just the stories and the characters and the people involved, and knowing that some of your favorite wrestlers today got their start or at least got some of their training and cut their teeth in this public access culture. You know, names like Low Key and Jay Lethal, two of the best wrestlers on the planet today. Low Key did big things in TNA and on Impact Wrestling with MVP and the BDC, was huge in Japan. Yeah, the WWE kind of dropped the ball and screwed over one of the greatest talents that they had under their uh, umbrella, but that's besides the point. Low-key can go. Uh, Jay Lethal, ROH world champion, ROH TV champion, and personally as a black man, one of the highlights of young black wrestlers over the past 15 years or so. Somebody that I think is doing amazing in ROH. He was great in TNA. And Lord willing, if he gets the opportunity and we've got the right creative team in place, I think he's somebody that could shine in WWE, whether that be NXT or on the main roster. I think Jay Lethal is somebody that could do big things. And he's still young enough to do those big things. And he's somebody that cut his teeth in this culture of public access wrestling. So it's it's a fascinating story, a a wild, winding tale that uh, Brother Mark brought to the table, uh, despite all of our contentiousness that y'all saw online with him cutting promos and me cutting promos. But that's how it goes sometimes. You know, sometimes beef is real, like I said. And sometimes beef is not real. Sometimes beef is a work shoot. And sometimes it's a shoot, brother. <laughs> but in this occasion, you know, it, it was just good fun and we was having fun out there. So, you know, much respect to Mark and, you know, what he's done in his journey and his life in this crazy sport of pro wrestling. And he's, you can tell it's definitely his passion and uh, it's something that he has not given up on. And, and you got to respect that. And just from hearing him and E talk about, you know, their interactions and, and just the craziness that goes on in this world. It, it's, it was a fun listen. I hope you guys enjoyed it because I certainly enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, hopefully, God willing, there'll be a time down the road where uh, we can all congregate and conversate uh, at the same time, you know. So uh, I'm, I'm sending the challenge out there. The challenge is still outstanding to you, Brother Mark Knight. Uh, you know, anytime that you and, and E and me, maybe even the cannon can get in on this, and it can be a fatal four-way. <laughs> uh, we can get in and talk about the crazy world of uh, New York City's public access pro wrestling because I think as, as in-depth as Mark and E got tonight, there's still a lot to be told with this story. And, and like I said, man, I would love to see a documentary or a book or something like that if, if Mark were able to find the time and get the resources to put something like that together because I think a lot of wrestling fans around the world would love to hear this story. So uh, that's that's something I'm going to put out there in the, in the atmosphere, in the universe. Uh, you know, who knows what could happen down the road. But uh, shout out to Brother Mark. 
Shout out to E as always doing big things here with the Atomic Podcast. Shout out to you, Cannon. Man, I'm going to need you to step your game up, Cannon. I know you had some things you couldn't get to the show tonight, man. But, you know, I'm going to need you to be there, which is funny because it's coming from somebody that wasn't on the show himself. But that's how it goes sometimes. You know, you got to be like Donald Trump sometimes and just speak your mind, even if you out of your mind. So, <laughs> Uh, but no, just 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 playing, man. Uh, you know the Atomic Podcast, like they say each and every week, they blow up the news on a verbal scale, and uh, I appreciate E for giving me a little bit of time here tonight to uh, give a special comment, give my reaction to a fascinating story about the world of pro wrestling that I didn't know. So, uh, hats off to everybody on the show tonight. Hats off to you out there in podcast land for listening. And as always, support quality podcasts. You know, that's, that's something that is a little bit of a crusade of mine. And, and granted, I'm a little bit biased, but support quality podcasts. You know, these guys and girls out here doing this podcast thing for little or no money. And they're doing it for the love of the game. You know, much like we talked about with Public Access Wrestling and Mark's journey and the journey of so many others up there in the NYC. You do it for the love of the game. You do it to pursue your passion. And like the old song goes, you might not ever get rich, but it sure beats digging a ditch. <laughs> so if you can, show some love to shows out there that you love. And I hope that you love this show right here, the Atomic Podcast with E and the Cannon. I hope you love the Kings of Sport. I hope you love Pipe Bomb Radio. I hope you love... Live audio wrestling's review and impact soon to be keeping 100. I hope you love everything that these brothers and sisters are out here doing because they're doing it for the love of the game. So uh, that's all that I got to say tonight. Hope you enjoyed the show. You can check me on Twitter in the number eight M O Z A I K. And of course, Facebook, facebook.com backslash the Kings of Sport. Shout out to my boys at the Atomic Podcast where they blow up the news on a verb. Hey, hey, I'm your man, the Godfather, Nate Milton. And this has been my special commentary. 